0: Welcome to Bound for Justice, your weekly podcast that explores race, reconciliation, and social justice, one book at a time. Join us for a candid discussion about taking steps to create change in our lives and the communities we live in. And now, your hosts, Rachel Rosman and Charlotte Wilson.
1: This week, we review White Fragility, written by Robin D'Angelo. White Fragility was published in 2018. It is described as a vital, necessary, and beautiful book in which D'Angelo explains the concept of white fragility and allows us to understand racism as a practice not restricted to bad people. The title is White Fragility. Why it's so hard for white people to talk about racism. And and it's written by a white woman, so So I think that's... Written by a white woman.
0: (laughs) Which I think is... When I... Um, I don't know about anybody else, but when I pick up a book about race and I always look to see the author and if it doesn't have a picture, I look them up to see if they are white or black, (laughs) because I feel like that is going to give me an idea of their perspective. I mean, it definitely changes their perspective, but like I almost feel like that's going to be like I'm going to I'm going to judge how good the book is going to be based on that, Um, because I always feel like books written about race should be written by somebody who is dealing with race issues and somebody who is white typically is not dealing with issues with race Mm -hmm. Um, or if they are they're potentially putting themselves in that position um, which I think we learn about or we discuss in this book later Sure. (laughs) Um, and so I was interested to read this because it was written by a white female Mm
1: -hmm.
0: so I kind of wanted to see what she had to say and now, saying this out loud, it's kind of weird because I am also a white female and I completely discredited
1: her expert <laughs> knowledge of this, <laughs> which. Well, and I think the thing that's so interesting about this book is that this book is really written for this book is written for white people. This book is meant for white people. It's, it's like an instruction. Basically. manual. <laughs> I mean, this is this is this book is meant for white people. It's written by a white person for a white person. And I think that's the thing that's so striking to me about what uh, Robin D'Angelo has done in this book is, you know, she's basically saying, look, I'm talking to my own people. Okay, folks, I'm bringing you along. This is our responsibility, and and this isn't going to happen unless we understand this whole concept of white fragility. And what does white fragility mean um, to us as white people? And what are we going to do about it? And I think part of it is, um, you know, the first step is just acceptance and being aware of the privilege that you live with and how that affects your, um, affects your output and your response to Mm -hmm. people of color. And I think the other thing that's really good about this book, and we'll get to this in a moment is um, what are you going to do about it? Okay. So now you get it. You understand the concept of white, white privilege, white fragility, um, how to respond when you're in a situation where you really do want to understand some someone that you're interacting with who has a different perspective, and what are you going to do about it? Um, that's what I really loved about this book in general. Yeah, and I I also like
0: that she didn't take herself completely out of the equation as being like like she was she presented herself as an expert but not as infallible, and mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah.
1: Where, I mean, like, where does she really, I guess I'm looking at page one, but is there a spot before that where she, where she provides like a definition of what white fragility is? I mean, it's mostly just whenever any sort of race issue is brought up.
0: Um, I think the key word that she brings up a lot is triggered. Like once people are triggered, um, once they feel like they have to, once they're feeling they're getting
1: defensive and having to fight back about something. Mm -hmm.
0: I feel like that's really the white fragility well, she
1: Yeah, she says the smallest amount of racial stress is intolerable. The mere suggestion that being white has meaning often triggers a range of defensive responses. Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah I do like throughout the book, she brings up like, okay, this is a time I was called out on being racist. Or this is a time when the way I reacted wasn't the appropriate way to act. Because I noticed that a lot of times when she would do that, I would think... That's how I would act, too. Like, that's a comment that I would have made um, and not even thought anything of it to where I almost was reading the book, looking at her actions and reactions to things like like trying to solve a mystery. Like, how how is she acting that somebody is going to somebody is taking a, a different way or somebody has a different perspective on? And how would I how am I doing that in my own life? So I guess from my perspective, I found it very interesting and I was excited, not excited intrigued, I guess, to see how she presented herself or carried herself and then how that was being um,
1: taken by other people. So you mentioned earlier that some of the books that we've read in the recent weeks were very challenging to you because they appeared to be anti-white. As a white person, how did you feel about reading White Fragility? I thought that
0: the author was very neutral, but the stories she told were painful to read. Like sometimes like some of the examples where they would talk about um, race issues at the workplace and the way that white people would react. I was like, Oh, stop. Like, like you just, and in my head, I just knew those people from work. Mm -hmm. Like I was like, Oh, who would be doing this or in my past jobs, who was going to act like that or who's going to make that comment. And it was painful to read sometimes because I would, I would almost get mad. Like I would be disappointed in the person But I would also be mad at the people who were feeding into it. Mm -hmm. Like, really, you're going to give that person that much attention over this? You know, all the instances that she brings up are like somebody trying to take the attention off of racism or race issues and turning it on to them.
1: In one of the classes, there was a guy who called out that or or maybe she called it out. There was a white woman who made a statement that was very racist Mm-hmm. um and either really she was any of the stories that she told well, yeah, yeah yeah, i guess they're all you're racist um but 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 i think this was like an extreme i think it's an extreme situation where she there was a i think there was a man of color and then there was a white woman and the white woman said something that were, quite frankly was very offensive to the other guy and dr d'angelo called it out in this session and at, I think it was at a break, maybe. So even though it was the black man who had been slighted, mm-hmm. everybody freaked out because she challenged this this white woman on her privilege and the insensitive comment that she made almost to the point where they said, well, I don't even the, the white woman had um, had some health issues. Yes, and they were concerned like that maybe she had heart issues. <laughs> right. And so everybody's attention turned towards this sensitive, the sensitive woman white woman who may have been offended and may have heart issues and maybe suffering health health concerns despite the fact that it was the black man sitting there basically unharmed um, that really had had suffered the slight right
0: yeah it was that there was and there was another instance where a guy was like well i'm not coming back to this event or i'm not coming back to anymore this training like everything was people trying to make it like I'm not doing this. How are you going to make up
1: for it? You know, feel badly for me because I'm being slighted. And they were basically playing into the entire point of the entire book, which is you can't take the fact that you have privilege and someone's calling you on it and you're basically falling apart. And the people that like would feed into like the other people who were like, well, she's not coming back to this
0: because of Mm -hmm. um, because of how you're acting and how you're calling people out on racism. She's not going to be coming back to this event, like, right? Please,
1: but again, these are all the examples that I think she she uh, points out in the book in terms of this is this is um, this is white privilege. So I don't know if I were to describe this book, I would basically call this if you're a, if you're a white person that kind of kind of feels like you don't get it but you want to get it, this is a great place to start. I would call this like. Your, you know, primer one hundred and one for figuring out where to start. You Free know, prerequisite for anti-racist. Yeah, you know, or you want to you want to be less racist. Yes, yes. if you want to have a meaningful conversation with a person of color, this is a great place to start. Um, because it's not with before you start to try and understand another person, you need to get your you need to understand your own business. You need to understand what you're bringing into that conversation before you even try and have a conversation. Um, and I think a lot of times I know I have definitely felt this way as a person of color. I oftentimes feel like people don't even they're so unaware of themselves. And I think this book is really a lot about self-awareness. You're so unaware of yourself that you're and you're bringing all that into the conversation. And it makes it really hard as a person of color to even have a meaningful conversation with somebody unless you have some sort of self-awareness around what what's coming along with you. And. You know, I, I, I certainly can't speak for, you know, I, we all have our own unique perspectives and our own unique feelings about things. But I think we as humans always appreciate somebody who's willing to walk into a conversation with a little bit of honesty and a willingness to admit that they don't know everything and a willingness to admit that I've got some blind spots and I have a lot to learn. But this is where I'm willing to start from. And that's I
0: did like that about this book. I liked a lot of things about this book, but one of the things that really stuck with me is where she talks about how everybody actually essentially everybody white is racist. It's just where you fall on that scale. Yes. And I did like that she put in situations like this is one time where I was where I made a comment that I shouldn't have made. And here's how I fixed that. So it was Mm -hmm. almost like an instructional manual, like, okay, I I was racist here. How can I fix this moment? And then if you ignore that, then you're constantly going to have an issue with that person another part of this book that I thought about is sometimes I turn it around like, well, that person is, that person's acting like I offended them, but Mm -hmm. I didn't really do anything wrong. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, I was very respectful. I did this and that, but she's, she brings up that there's a different, um, like a, that person's perspective or how that person's life has led them to where they are. Maybe they're interpreting something I said differently, or maybe I don't have that relationship to be able to say something like this to that person. Mm -hmm. So while I can be standing back and being like, well, they're just they're just trying to be a bully or they're being mean to me and they don't like me, it might be we're just having a um, maybe a failed communication or maybe mm-hmm. there's something else going on that I need to be maybe not aware of but sensitive to. And so instead, because I am myself and at times spineless, um, I'd rather just avoid that whole confrontation gotcha. or that whole in, um, interaction. And so. I think it it's almost making me more more accepting at work to different people mm-hmm. or a different not even work different environments from mm-hmm. like oh you know I thought that person had something against me but maybe I said something that was offensive and I reflect back to things I've said and I'm like ooh I might not have thought that was offensive, but now that I'm looking at it again, Mm -hmm. I did not have a good enough relationship with that person to say that, to say something like that. Right. If they would have interpreted, like I might say it to somebody now that I don't have a relationship with at all and then be fine. But with that, I didn't take into perspective everybody's different experiences and right thoughts. Yeah.
1: So I'm curious to know when you hear the word white supremacy, what do you think of? (gasps) Oh my gosh. Like completely not the, the,
0: point that she's making i always think of immediate like when you think of white supremacy you think of the kkk and hoods and cloaks and riding it on horses with burning crosses david duke david duke oh yeah this the um, was it charlotte charlotte mm-hmm. charlottesville started, charlottesville um yes anybody that is very against any other group
1: except for whites and very vocal about it oh yeah Right. I mean, if you're a white supremacist, you hate black people or you hate anybody who's not white. You believe white is is the dominant race and yeah. should be as superior. ordained. superior, often for or, sure. as ordained by God, as ordained but by many God. Many people will use, <laughs> use that crutch. Right. Because I mean, that's Jesus, what it, I mean, it seems because Jesus that way. Is white.
0: Yeah, because Jesus was clearly white. Right. Because that's how all right. Middle Eastern individuals are.
1: So, I mean, I don't know. Would you agree? Would you agree that that that's? That's how a lot of people think of white supremacy. I would, I would say that that's accurate. I would. I'm
0: also going to mention that this might be a spoiler, but this book really makes me reevaluate my definition of a lot of terms when it brings up white supremacy and racism and um, white privilege. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of times where I was like, oh, I mean, if you actually look at the definition of the word, mm-hmm. that's not what it really means. Like the way I thought of it is not really what it means. Mm-hmm. And she brings up that. Um, Aspect, and she also like not only just says this is what it really means, but this is how it applies to real life. That's okay, I did like about th- I did is like there, about is it. Is
1: there a particular example? Uh, I
0: have tons of stuff. Okay, so white supremacy, right here. White supremacy describes the culture we live in—a culture that positions white people and all associated with them as ideal. Mm-hmm. So white supremacy isn't saying, "I'm coming in here to tell you that you're wrong or that I'm better than you." It's saying, in society, I am viewed. As the as, ideal, as as the yeah the ideal the what everybody wants to be, mm-hmm. it is
1: the group that is in power, and people
0: typically want power.
1: So agreed. Yep. The term white supremacy is very charged. It's a very charged word for white people, um, especially older white people who definitely associate it with some of those like you know the stereotypical views that we've already talked about, where you're talking about extreme hate groups. But her whole point in this book is that white supremacy is something much more pervasive and subtle than the actions of explicit white nationalists. White supremacy, as you mentioned, Rachel, describes the culture we live in, a culture that positions white people, as you said, and and all those associated with them as ideal. So I think of the example of when you see a person, how do you describe them? Mm -hmm. And do we describe someone as... You know, would you would I describe Rachel as that white girl with red curly hair? Or would I just say she has red curly hair? And, you know, what's the difference? Is, it, is there an indication in the fact that I would generally, even as a black person, describe her as someone with, you know, I just described her as someone with red curly hair. I would never even call out the fact that she has white skin. On the other hand, when people say things like, they're colorblind about something
0: like, oh, I didn't even realize you were black. Well, Mm -hmm. that's, that's absurd. Like, that'd be like somebody saying, I didn't even realize you had curly hair. Right. Like when I take you in, how am I going to differentiate you from somebody else that I see out in the, out in public? Am I going to confuse you with somebody white who has curly hair? Right. No, clearly not. So I find the colorblind aspect of people being non-racist, like, oh, I'm not racist. I'm colorblind. I don't even see color. That doesn't even make sense to me because everybody sees color. Like, Everybody can obviously see differences in people. It's just that whether or not you respect those differences, whether or not you um, embrace them and can appreciate them, Mm -hmm. rather than whether or not you see them. Like, Mm -hmm. that seems insane to me. Like, that'd be like somebody being like, oh, I didn't even know she had, you had curly hair, or your hair was red or curly, or I didn't even, or like your skin is basically transparent. Like, I almost confused you (laughs) with somebody who's black.
1: No. So I was talking to a, a white person the other day who was describing an incident where she was interacting with another white person. But this white person was attempting to describe another black person that they worked with. But they weren't trying to say that they were black. But they, she was trying so <laughs> hard to say that they weren't black. So I, I think it was somebody named Patty. And so she, so and there happened to be more than one Patty Um, in her work situation. And so, and one Patty was, was white and one Patty was black. And so she asked the person naturally, you know, which Patty are you talking about? And yeah, she tried every which way to describe her without saying Patty's black because Patty doesn't know that she's black or that there's something (laughs) wrong with the fact that Patty is black and this person feels uncomfortable with it to the point that they don't even want to acknowledge it.
0: Right. But I will actually say like, well, the black whoever, like the black Patty or Patty Mm -hmm. who is black. And that makes people super uncomfortable. Who does it make uncomfortable? Do you think? I think it probably makes the white person who doesn't want to acknowledge that like, because they're so colorblind, they don't know. Maybe it's making them uncomfortable because they don't notice that Patty's black. So
1: I still haven't solved the problem for Or is for them. it that they think there's something wrong with the fact that Patty is black? Like, there's something wrong with being black, so they don't want to talk about it. Right. I don't know. I mean, that could very
0: well be it. Like, since it's seen as maybe lesser to them, mm-hmm. that they don't want to acknowledge it, as if that hasn't been something that Patty's been living with her entire life. Right. Like, I, I do find that odd because... And um, in the book, it brings up like right. kids that do that. Like, oh, if kids say something, somebody is black, they don't want to, they don't want right. to, like because parents try to, try to quiet them down. And I have had issues with my daughter who has, um, who's mentioned somebody being black and I'm like, oh yeah, they're, they're black. That's how they are. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess I always viewed it as just being a difference in people because I wouldn't say anything about somebody being blonde. Like, mm-hmm. oh no, their hair is just a different color. Like you mm-hmm. don't, don't say anything about them. They're blonde. Um, but then, some people do get really weird about it, or they'll they'll quiet their voice. Like, mm-hmm.
1: she's black. Oh, right. But like, no, eh, no offense, you know, no offense right, that they're black. Right. No, none, really, because I did, I wasn't offended. Right. Thanks. No, none yeah. taken until yeah. you said it that way. Right. So now I'm offended by whatever you think is offensive. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> Next up. So this is this is a I think an interesting point. There was there was something that really struck me in the book. I don't know that I've ever thought about this, um, but I I think this is a really strong challenge, I think for everybody. Um, And that's the story that D'Angelo tells on page 26, where she's talking about the story of Jackie Robinson. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Dang. Okay. So I'm just going to read this real quick and then we can talk about it. Um, The story of Jackie Robinson is a classic example of how whiteness obscures racism by rendering whites White privilege and racist institutions invisible. Robinson is often celebrated as the first African American to break the color line and play in Major League Baseball. While Robinson was certainly an amazing baseball player, this storyline depicts him as a racially special, as racially special, a black man who broke the color um, color line himself. The subtext is that Robinson finally had what it took to play with whites as if no other black athlete before him was strong enough to compete at that level. Imagine if instead the story went something like this. Jackie Robinson, the first black man whites allowed to play Major League Baseball. This version makes a critical distinction because no matter how fantastic a player Robinson was, he simply could not play in the major leagues if whites, who controlled the institution, did not allow it. I think this book. I'm trying to figure out a way to say this. Um, White fragility is a very it's a very clear cut response to a lot of the things that D'Angelo has heard over the years, as a person in situations where she's working with people who are really unaware of their privilege, and they're they're really stuck in a place where they they're not even making they're not even um, acknowledging that. Um, And so this is a a very clear-cut way of saying, hey, look, this is the reality. I think the fact of the matter is there are a lot of people who still aren't ready for this book. And and I think that's her point, too, though. There are so many people who are not ready for the conversation. But just so you know, when you hear these things, this is what it means. This is what this the reason why you're feeling this way is because of X, Y, and Z. And here's why that's not necessarily true. I'm a little concerned that there are still a lot of people who could not digest some of the things that are being said in this book.
0: I think, I think that's definitely true. Like a lot of people wouldn't be able to get through the book. I think another aspect that she brings up is how certain people, and I think the the email you sent me was like, some people were like, oh, white people are terrible. Mm-hmm. Like end of conversation. Mm-hmm. Not, okay, white guilt. Like where is it going to get you? Right. You aren't doing anything with that. So where right. are you going to go from there? And mm-hmm. I think that's brought up in this too. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you can think that all of this is terrible and, this is wrong, but if you're not doing anything with that information or you're not trying to um, get through that or progress, Mm -hmm. then how are you really helping anything? Like Mm -hmm. by you saying, yeah, you know, white supremacy or racism is awful. I'll just sit here in my house and, you know, soak in the, soak in the benefits of white privilege. Facebook article. Uh,
1: Right. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Argue with somebody on Facebook in the comments. Right. Right.
0: And sometimes I do that and I hate myself for it, but but I'm just like, I just have to let
1: them know mm-hmm.
0: that they're wrong. right? <laughs> like, I just have to let them know that their opinion is
1: not acceptable. So one of the best things, and I think you brought this up earlier, one of the very best things that I think um, D'Angelo does for folks is in chapter five, where she talks about the good, bad binary, that good equals. So So she's got this list on page 72, where she says racist equals bad. And then she's got these words underneath that say ignorant, bigoted, prejudiced, mean spirited, old, and Southern. And if you're not racist, that equals good. And that's progressive and educated, open minded, well intentioned, young, Northern. Um, And these are, I think, I think she may have even been using these as sort of like words that we try to, that sometimes we often use or we try to associate. And, um, oh, yeah for sure. Progressive. That sounds totally. Oh, right. Like something Yeah. I'd... Having racist notions doesn't immediately make you bad. And as soon as you recognize that, and you realize that the action or the notion or the thought might be racist and it might be good. That's not a judgment on you as a person. If you understand it and you're working towards making change. Um, okay. one thing I will like this little summary that I'll bring up
0: ahead of time mm-hmm. is that something I don't, Pull into consideration enough, or bring into consideration enough, is that she says you've really got to have you have different relationships with different people. So something that you might be able to say around one person is not okay to say around somebody else. Right,
1: but it's which is kind of like no duh, like right, uh, I'm a person. And just because I'm black doesn't mean that you can say whatever you want. And just because I'm black and I'm okay with something you say doesn't mean that the next person you come up, you come across that happens to be black is going to be okay with what you say. So just know that. Right. And you can't use the excuse. Well, I said this to my other black
0: friend and she wasn't offended. Right. It's like
1: in case you didn't notice, nobody speaks for all black people. So um, know that. So
0: I thought that was a really good point to bring up that, yeah. like, you can't always assume that you're not being offensive. Right. Okay. I think that the main idea behind this is don't act like you know everything about being black when you're white. Right. Even no matter how much information you have or how many black friends you have, you are still white and you're coming at it from a different perspective.
1: Mm-hmm. So one of the things that's really nice about this book is the fact that D'Angelo gives some really practical um, examples or some really some really I think hey, I would say call them really good examples of places where you might making, you might be making assumptions or you might be making statements or judgments, that you may be completely unaware of the fact that those, those in and of themselves, the fact that you're thinking those things or, or acting in those ways demonstrates perhaps your your white privilege and the fact that you're unaware of it. Um, And there's a really a really good list on page 121 um, where she's she's got a list of some of these assumptions that people may make. And um, maybe we can just call out a couple of these that stick out to us. I have one that is starred. Okay, this is it's the fifth one down. Racism
0: can only be intentional. And I'm. My not having intended racism cancels out the
1: impact of my behavior. And I think that is so (laughs) important. Actually, that that coincides with the one that stuck out to me, which is racism is conscious bias. I have none. So I am not racist, which the whole point of this is that white privilege um is often very unconscious because it is it is pervasive through our society. our site our society is built on that white ideal. Therefore it just becomes something that is as opposed to something that we have to confront and actually be aware of. I think that that,
0: in my life in general, being always white and always associating prior to this move with white individuals, a lot of things I say I feel like are acceptable because they've never been questioned before. Mm-hmm. And then now, all of a sudden, you get to a group who maybe is offended by something that you say, yeah. and you really have to reflect on it more. Like, oh, nobody's ever questioned that before, because nobody's ever had the different perspective than me before. Right.
1: So you you've, you've so. put yourself in a very unique position because you are the minority in the environment that you're working on on a day to day basis. So in many ways, you're you're being forced you're being forced to confront things that perhaps you might not have before. Is that fair to say? I would say that's fair, and I think that in some, I read something.
0: I heard something one time where it said um, an example of white privilege is when you hear about unarmed black men being shot and you are angry, you're enraged and not terrified. Yes. And I thought, yes, that's so true. Like, I can sit here and talk about everything I want and complain and think that everything's so unfair and there's no justice. But my child's still safe. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not I'm not concerned about my child. Yes. And so I like it was like a punch in the gut Mm -hmm. for me. So so I think that no matter what. You can't take your white privilege away. No matter what situation you're in, no matter what surroundings you're in, you still have that. And you've got to really accept that and work through that.
1: So that's a really good point because you can't take your white privilege away. Your white privilege is part of the society that we're in right now today. However, as a person with white privilege, you get a choice in what you want to do with that privilege. Do you just want to feel guilty about it? Or do you want to actually turn that into something for good?
0: Right. Like you can ignore it. You can feel guilty. You right. can embrace it and move
1: on. How do I make this or work you can, other? Or you can understand that you work within a power structure for which mm-hmm. you have a greater privilege. And you can choose to do something with that power that brings equality to, to all of society. And you can have a conversation with other white people in a way that, quite frankly, a black person is not going to have. That is a job, in my opinion, that is a job and a responsibility of white society to have with other white people. As soon as you can sort of come to grips with what white privilege is and where you sit in that world, you, then you can start to understand how you can wield that power for good. Right,
0: using your powers for good, right, not evil. Right, let's all be <laughs> heroes.
1: Let's all be heroes. Yeah. Um, okay, is there anything more you want to say about the book? Um, not offhand. Okay. I guess that's a good place to start using your powers for good. What does it look like to use your power for good? Um, I don't know that we necessarily have time to get through all of that today. but I think maybe that's the could, point. Yeah. That's the purpose. Right. So I think over the coming weeks, we, and, and I think beyond that, we start to talk about, you know, coming to grips with what it means to have white privilege and how do you start to use that power for good? How do you start to have that conversation? What do those conversations look like? And how do we make sure that we're all prepared in any position of power, whether it's economic, whether it's racial, whether it's gender that we have, we have, we're prepared and we have opportunities to encourage that conversation and, and make a real connection with folks in a way that um, we're actually going to um, create change. Okay. Sounds great. Sound good. Yeah. All so, right. All right. So we'll talk to you guys next time. Yep. Bye. All right. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to bound for justice. Join us next week for another conversation about creating change in our lives and the communities we live in.